if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Ruth, the second chapter. Our text this evening will be from verses 8 through the end of the chapter. So if you found it, if you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Let's read together Ruth, chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field, or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land, and came to a people that that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, And he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over from being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Praise be to God for His Word. Please be seated. When I was in high school, I was an avid reader. I still am, but I read an awful lot. And one of the things that I really enjoyed reading 
were Shakespearean plays. Hamlet, Macbeth, Julius Caesar, and my favorite was King Lear. And I think I still have an old copy of King Lear with all kinds of 10th and 11th grade scribbles in the side. The underlines and references to C.S. Lewis or whatever other book I was reading at the time. But several years after I read it, I had an interesting experience that really opened up that play to me in a, a very visible way. What I did was I went to go see in Toronto, which was not very far from where we were, about an hour and a half, a actual performance of King Lear put on by excellent troupe, an excellent troupe. And it changed the way I looked at it because the drama wasn't just on the page, it was sort of, it came alive. That's what happens with plays. It's one of the reasons why if they make a movie of one of our favorite books, we don't say, oh, well, we've read the book. We go, we see the movie. We want to see... We get anything extra from the visual. Well, that's what's happening for us today from the Scriptures. Because you see, what's happening throughout the book of Ruth, but I want to show you specifically something in this second chapter, is God is taking the doctrine of redemption that we've been studying and will continue to study in the book of Galatians and that appears in every other book of the Scriptures and He's playing this out as a drama before us so we can see it, so it becomes more visible to us so that we can readily identify with the characters. And what we see today in our drama is the drama of grace. We see the grace of God at work in the lives of a family. We've already seen the introduction of some of the characters. We looked last time we were together at Ruth and Boaz, and then of course at God, who is the main actor, the hero of our story. But today I'd like us to see grace spread before us in a drama. And I'd like us just to briefly consider three things from this. First, I'd like us to see the kindness of grace. The kindness of grace. And then secondly, I'd like us to see the provision of grace. And then after we've looked at the kindness of grace and the provision of grace, I'd like us to see the power of grace. Ending up with the power of grace. Well, let us then look at this story and see first the kindness of grace. You notice how our story opens... You may recall from the last time we were together, Ruth has decided that she's going to take the initiative and she's going to go out and glean in the fields, hoping, trusting in the Lord, to make provision for herself and her mother-in-law. And she just so happens, we said, to come to the field of Boaz, purely by accident. Of course not. By the providence of God, she comes to the field of Boaz. And... She meets this man, Boaz, and Boaz comes up to her, and he shows her the kindness of grace in a very tangible form. And the first thing that we see in this kindness is we see he shows her safety. Look what he says. Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? 
Do you notice how he begins? It's almost archaic and it's hard for us to get our heads around. He says, listen, my daughter. The Hebrew actually says, now listen very carefully. It's actually a question. Haven't you heard? Don't you know? We might say. And he calls her my daughter. Now, in this culture, that is something of a shock. Because she's not an Israelite. She's a single woman without a protector. But Boaz has seen her. He's already inquired about her. And this is his way of letting her know that she's safe. My daughter, I identify with you. I'm going to protect you. And then notice what he says. He says, keep close to the young women. Cling to them. You all know the image from this. You just need to be reminded of it. The other main place that we see this word, keep close, is in Genesis 2, verse 24, where it said that a man and a wife shall cling to one another. You know, leave and cleave, we say in old language. That's what Boaz is saying here. Stick close. Cleave to my young women. Be with them. So that I know where you are and you will be protected. And he tells her that she has been protected. Notice the grace that he shows her. He says, look out over the field. Let your eyes be on the field and go after them as as they reap. He's saying to her, in essence, don't worry about what's going to happen to you. You're safe here. It's okay. And if we think about it, isn't that something that we all crave? We try and find substitutes for safety from God in a lot of other places. In an insurance policy to our mortgage. In a savings account. Many other places. Because we know we need safety. And the Lord is showing us here a picture of how by His grace, He protects us. He watches over us. He tells us to look out over the field and not to worry. Because He has provided for us. You see, this is reminiscent of God's protection. The psalmist says that the Lord will command His angels concerning you to guard you. It's a scripture that our Lord Jesus knew full well. It's a a scripture that's so important and dear to our hearts that Satan himself tried to use it to tempt our Lord. Saying, you can do whatever you want. It says in the scripture that he'll have his angels guard over you. This is something that a grace filled church, a grace-filled society shows. It shows safety. All we need to do is think about our country to see what a graceless world looks like. The most dangerous place to live in America today is in the womb. Instead of protecting our women, we send them to the front lines. Instead of protecting our children, we place them in harm's way. As a society, we don't show each other grace through safety. That's the first thing that Boaz shows to Ruth. But he doesn't just show her safety, he shows her encouragement. Look what he says in verse 
11, after she's asked, Why have I found favor in your sight? He says, All that you have done for your mother-in-law has been told to me. Fully told to me. I've got the whole report, he says. You see, Ruth asks, she's wondering why she deserves this grace. This word for favor is the same word as the word for grace. Ruth is a bit confused. She doesn't know why she's being shown grace. And I want you to notice what Boaz does. He really doesn't answer her. She says, why are you showing me this grace? What have I done for you? And he doesn't respond with what she's done for him or what she will do for him. He describes to her what he knows and has seen. The way she has been concerned for her mother. The way she has clung to the Lord and clung to Naomi. He's encouraging her. He recounts her story, but not in a way that makes it clear that he's repaying her for what she's done. He's encouraging her. And isn't that also something that we need in God's grace? We need to be encouraged on to well-doing. We need to be encouraged to look to the Lord. It's very easy to become discouraged here. And Ruth could have been. And so Boaz reminds her of her faithfulness and her courage. And he reminds her in a context that makes it clear that it comes from the Lord. Because he said, the Lord will repay you. And that's the third kindness that we see. It's a blessing. He says to her, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord. Some commentators say that this is the first good news, the first word of blessing that Ruth hears since she left Moab. And Boaz provides it to her. He shows her that even though she's outside of the community, she's welcome. And that the Lord will bless her. And so then the question comes to us as we desire to be a people who show grace. As we desire to show outreach and concern for our community. Are we concerned for outsiders? Are we concerned to show others that they're welcome? That they are to seek the Lord? That grace and blessing and kindness are found in the Lord. Boaz knew that. He recognizes it and he reminds Ruth of it. He shows her these kindnesses. And then we move on to the provision of grace. Because you see, Boaz is not just a man of words. He is a man of very good words. He's the type of man that when you're having a tough day, you want to go see. Because he's going to encourage you in the Lord. But he doesn't just talk. He acts as well. Notice what happens. And at mealtime, in verse 14, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. He calls to her, this outsider... And he says, come close to me. What a gracious act that is. What a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who calls us to Himself, who wants to be identified with us. So much so that He took baptism from John. You see, 
We want to be close to the source of grace. And Boaz shows Ruth that she is welcome to be near him. Because sharing a meal is about more than just sitting down and eating in this society. It's about being identified with each other. About fellowship. And notice how he relates to her on a personal level. He does something that would be quite shocking in that society. Here we have this young, widowed, pagan, for all intents and purposes, from Moab. He serves her. He passes her his own food. He doesn't give her the leftovers. He doesn't give her the second-hand food. He doesn't give her the second choice. He gives to her from his own provision that she might have it. And notice how He gives to her. He gives her so much that she ate until she was satisfied and then had some left over. Now let me tell you, Ruth would have been a very hungry young woman. She's living a widow with her widowed mother-in-law. They have no means for provision, so much so that she's going out in another field to take advantage of the law of charity, we might call it, that the Lord has put into His Word. She's not eating three square meals a day. And yet she comes here and she eats until she's completely satisfied and there is enough left over. And she eats the best of food. She dips her bread in the wine so that it wouldn't be just dry and tasteless, but it would be full of life as tasteful as could be in a meal like this. You might think of it this way. When you go out to eat, you might go to one of two different kinds of places, depending upon your mood. I think of it this way. You can have quantity, or you can have quality. You can go down to the buffet where the food's pretty good, and you hope it's hot, but you can get as much fried chicken as you want. And you can get fried chicken plus roast beef, plus ham, plus potatoes, whatever you want. Pile it on the plate. So much so, it's hard. It's falling off the edges. Or you can go to your favorite restaurant. and Order your favorite meal. The thing that you love the most. For me, that's just a well-cooked, not well-done, but a well-cooked steak. Now imagine that you go to your favorite restaurant and you have your favorite food and you finish it and the waiter comes with another of your favorite thing. And another of your favorite things. And he says, I think you've forgotten you always like this other thing with it. And everything that you love is brought to you in so much abundance that you eat until you are satisfied and he sends you home with five doggy bags for the whole week. That's what's happening to Ruth. That's the provision of grace. God is showing us in here a picture in what Boaz does of how He cares for us and how He provides for us. Our God is not stingy with what He gives us. Oftentimes when we pray, we think that way. If only, God, You could do this small thing. I know it's so much to ask, but our Lord, the Scripture says, is one, is a being, a person, our God, who desires more to hear our prayers than we desire to pray them to Him. He 
delights in answering prayers. He delights in answering in a way in which is beyond any of our expectations. What is it that Paul says? Our Lord will provide for all our needs beyond anything that we could think or hope or dream. This is how God gives. And Boaz gives us a picture of it. This is the provision of grace. This kindness of grace that Boaz shows in a picture to Ruth and this provision of grace leads then to the third thing. Because Ruth finishes up and she takes home all of her leftover food and she takes home what she's gleaned because Boaz has gone out of his way. He's gone beyond what is due. Because you remember we said there was a law that said that you were to allow people to go through and to pick up the leftovers. Right? And that's what Ruth was doing. And Boaz goes well beyond that. He says, Men, I want you to go through what's been gathered and I want you to throw a bunch of it on the ground. I want you to purposefully give to her so that she has more than she needs. And she gathers up an ephah. Now that's somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds. I want you to imagine, for one day's work, a hungry widow taking home, the not a little, the largest bag of dog food in the grocery store. But it's not dog food. But it's that in size. Slinging it over her shoulder. And then coming in to see her mother-in-law. And imagine Naomi's reaction. To see what the Lord has done. Look at all this. Oh, and by the way, I've eaten all that I could possibly eat, and look at all this that's left over. That's what happens. And we see the power of grace manifesting itself in Naomi. You remember Naomi? That woman who when she came back, and all the ladies of society came up to her and said, Is this Naomi? What did she say? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. I went away full and I came back empty because the Lord has testified against me. She was bitter. She was in despair. And now look at how she reacts. She reacts with first with surprise in verse 19. She says, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Imagine that. Ruth goes off and she's figuring, well, maybe she'll bring home a little tiny bag of something. And Ruth comes home with more than she'd ever imagined. She says, where in the world were you? Surprise. Elation. And we see it following on. Because look at what she says next. Blessed be the man who took notice of you. She goes from a woman who's cursing to a woman who's blessing. And then she says, May he be blessed by the Lord, in verse 20, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And the language there, if you look at it in the English, is kind of ambiguous, isn't it? Blessed be the Lord, may He be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken. Whose kindness is it? Is it the one who's being blessed by the Lord, or is it the Lord? Well, the Hebrew doesn't help us here. It's intentionally ambiguous. But I think, primarily, she has reference to the Lord because she now knows the works of the Lord. She hasn't really even met Boaz. But she says, Blessed be the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. She recognizes her mistake. 
in doubting the Lord. She recognizes that God is faithful. And this act of grace turns Naomi from a woman of despair and despondency into an excited, concerned, hopeful person. That's the power of grace. You see that in your own life, don't you? You see it when you see God act in someone else's life. When someone else prays fervently for someone in their family that's ill, and you see them get better. Or you see answered prayers for a baby getting stronger. Or answered prayers for a missionary. You look and you say, that's the power of God. And you immediately identify. And you take ownership of it with yourself. If God can do that, then what can God do in my life? God takes a bitter old woman like Naomi and breathes new life into her. And she sees that trusting in God is the place where we're to live. Because do you notice what she does? Look here. In verse 22, she says, It's good, my daughter, that you go out with these young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. She says, You keep close to them. You stay where you are. In that field, the Lord has provided you with provision. In that field. Do you remember what Naomi did at the beginning of the story? She went from the field of the Lord to the fields of Moab. She's recognizing that she and her husband had taken themselves out of the place of God's blessing, out of the place of God's provision, and tried to strike out on their own. And now, she's completely changed her perspective. We see here that the remedy for hard hearts is to look to God's grace and faithfulness. That's not just true for Naomi. That's true for you and for me. Do you have bitterness about someone who just gets under your skin all the time? Do you have despair that your situation, perhaps with your children, or with your finances, or with your job, just you don't see it ever getting better? The answer is to look to the Lord and His grace and His kindness And in doing so, your burdens are lifted. It happened to Naomi. And Naomi's life was a hard life. Remember, she lost a husband and all her sons in a foreign land. But God's grace lifts that weight off her. And she has a new life, so to speak. But I want you to see one last thing here about the power of grace. It's not just that it changes the heart. It does. The power of grace is the power to unite as well. Do you notice what Naomi says? Sometimes there's little words in the Bible that can give us a clue. In verse 20 at the end, Naomi says to Ruth, This man is a close relative of ours. He is one of our redeemers. Do you see what she's just done? Who is Boaz a close relative of? Of Naomi. 
Not of Ruth the pagan Moabitess. No. But what the power of God's grace has done is not only give Naomi hope, it's drawn Naomi closer in her relationship to Ruth. It's not just me anymore. It's us. He's our relative. He's our Redeemer. And she includes Ruth in her blessing. It's the Lord's kindness who has not forsaken whom? The living or the dead? Plural. Who are the dead? Elimelech? Malon? Chilion? Who are the living? Plural. It's Naomi and Ruth. You see what grace does? It brings us together. It not only works in our hearts individually and encourages us, it brings us together in relationships. And why would that surprise us? Because God is creating a people, isn't He? Not a bunch of individuals for Himself, but a people. And so as we are a people who seek God's grace, that should draw us closer together, not only closer to the Lord, but closer to each other. Building our relationships, encouraging one another. That happens to Naomi. It happens to us too. Why does God give us this picture? Why does He give us this drama? Well, partly it's because it's a wonderful story, isn't it? We love to hear about Ruth. and We hear, as we go through the story, we hear Boaz's name, we start to put things together. Oh, are they, you know, how are they going to get together and what's going to happen? But primarily, I would put it to you, it's because God wants us to know His story of redemption. It's the old, old story that He tells us in so many ways. In Paul's letters, in the Gospels, in the books of Moses, in the law, and here in Ruth. It's a drama that God wants us to see because He wants us to know His grace for us. You see, grace is not just something on a page. It's not just something we read about. It's not just something we hear about. It's something we live by. That's what God wants us to know this evening. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have